0: Alleluia. The story is told of a uh, blonde who, wanting to earn some money, decided to hire herself out as a handy woman and uh, started canvassing a very wealthy neighborhood. She went to the front door of the first house, asked the owner if he had any jobs that she might be able to do. He thought about it for a second says, well, you can paint my porch. He said, how much will you charge? The blonde said, well, how about $50? The man agreed, told her that the paint and ladders, everything she might need were in the garage. The man's wife, inside the house, heard the conversation and said to her husband, does she realize that the porch goes all the way around the house? For $50, she's going to paint it? He said, I don't know. She should. She was standing on it. So anyway, a short time later, blonde comes to the door, collect her money. He says, you're finished already? She said, yes, I am. And I had paint left over, so I gave it two coats. He said, man, that's great. Impressed, he reached in, got the $50, gave it to her, and she said, oh, by the way, that wasn't a porch, it was a Ferrari. Now, now I know there's a bunch of blondes out here. You're getting all upset, but don't worry because you're not really blonde. I can tell from here. Oh, hey, oh, what? Well, I no, I'm sorry. Unless you're unless you're dying your roots, uh, I don't. But the point is, is that uh, we often hear jokes or. Stories that bring to our attention the IQ of certain individuals, even so-called experts have their moments. I'm I'm an equal opportunity offender. So consider, this is one of my favorite stories. I had to pull it out for this. It was a, a true story. Scientists at NASA had developed a gun that was built specifically to launch dead chickens at the windshields of airliners, military jets, and the space shuttle, all traveling at maximum velocity. The idea was to simulate the frequent incidents of collisions with airborne file in order to test, test the strength of the windshields. British engineers heard about the gun, were eager to test it on the windshield of their new high-speed trains. So arrangements were made to borrow the gun, but when the gun was fired, the engineers stood shocked as the chicken hurtled out of the barrel, crashed into and shattered the shatterproof windshield, Smashed it to small bits, crashed through the control console, snap, snapped the engineer's back seat, and embedded itself deeply into the back wall of the cabin. <laughs> well, horrified, the British engineers sent NASA the disastrous results of their experiment, along with the designs of the windshield, and, and, re, and requested suggestions from the U.S. NASA scientists. To which NASA's response was very brief. They simply said, "This thaw the chicken." <laughs> I I guess there's not a high rate of incidence of flying frozen birds, you know, it's something to think about. But uh, today, wanting to go on a much safer path, I decided rather than risk offending you by asking the question, what's your IQ, if you'll notice from your outline, I thought I'd risk offending you by asking, what's your GQ? And uh, if you're wondering what it is I'm talking about, that's good. I was hoping that that would happen. And if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, we'll find out what it means to ask the question, what's your GQ? In Luke chapter 17, as we continue in our study through the eyewitness account of the life of uh, Jesus Christ as seen through the physician, Dr. Luke, he writes, inspired by the Spirit of God, these words... In Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 11, we read, And it came about that while Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten who were cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. In this passage, Jesus, as is always the case, addresses a topic that's very relevant uh, specifically for today. Because one of the scarcest virtues of the human race is gratitude. You know, thanklessness is evidenced in Luke's passage is not a new problem. And unfortunately, it is as true today as it was when Jesus walked the face of the earth. Listen to the following that I came across. Consider the typical Ivy League sophomore. From birth he has lacked nothing. He has has had loving, doting parents and grandparents, the best in medical care, music lessons, tennis lessons, sports club instruction, family vacations, summer sailing school, trendy wardrobes, religious instruction, European educational experiences, special work experiences, distinctive cars and even credit cards. Yet he is typically angry, ungrateful, depressed, and filled with poor me. He appreciates nothing. He regards his family as a nuisance. He focuses on shortcomings and slights in his upbringing, holding on to grudges with a death grip. It never occurs to him that some of his happy friends have actually had it rougher than he. Ungratefulness, though it has always been endemic to the human soul, is flourishing throughout our culture. As I read that, I was struck by the relevance of that. And I asked the question and I began to wonder, is it uh, typical of the average Orange County, California resident? Could the same be said of us? And what was even more troubling to me was to ask the question, are Christians any different than those who have yet to experience God's forgiveness? Do we run around like a bunch of selfish, spoiled brats, ungrateful for everything that God has done for us? Choosing to look at those things that we think should still be owed to us rather than what has already taken place. Test yourself what's your GQ? What's your gratitude quotient? That's the focus of Luke chapter 17. And as it's, you know, and it addresses in a powerful way the question. That I ask of myself, as I study this passage, am I truly grateful for all that God has done for me? And I hope that you ask yourself the same thing: Are you truly grateful for what God has already done for you? from this passage we 're going to look first of all at the condition of these ten men, and in verse twelve and thirteen we 're told that Jesus entered a certain village we 're not told which one, but we know he was on his way to Jerusalem, He passed between Samaria and Galilee this This particular event takes place. And as he entered this village, ten leprous men were there and they stood at a distance to meet him. You know, and we're told that they were ten leprous men. And that description is really all that we need to know because we know from history and we also know from just modern medical uh, information that we have. Dr. Paul Brand was a foremost expert on Hansen's disease, which is what it's known today, or leprosy. And he writes in chilling detail what you could expect if you were diagnosed with leprosy. He explains the severity of the condition. He said those who have leprosy are numb to sensation. They have the inability to feel pain. Ultimately, it will disfigure the body. The infected person would lose fingers and toes, hands, ears, nose. There was no cure once you were told you had leprosy. You knew that you were fatal and it was just a matter of time said, and protect others from getting this disease from you, you would be required to be quarantined and isolated from others. If you were married from your spouse, if you had children from your children, if you had grandchildren from them, you would be totally isolated and alone. And the only company that you would have would be in the company of your fellow, fellow, uh, you know, misery loves company those who also had leprosy would be those who now became your group to hang out with. So it was a, just a brutal, brutal reality. You would live totally dependent on others for food to survive because you could no longer make a living for yourself. Throughout the Bible, God uses leprosy as a powerful and vivid picture of sin and describes the condition of all men before God. And from this particular situation, you can imagine how desperate they were because they knew, as we look at this, their description tells us everything that we need to know. They had a very serious problem, and so do we. You know, However, unlike many of those today who are physically healthy but spiritually dead, they recognized their desperate straits. And they were at a distance because they couldn't come near Him. In fact, you know, the law told them if you had leprosy that you needed to stay at least 50 yards to 100 yards depending on which way the wind was blowing from any other human contact. So if the wind was behind you, you could only get, you know, within 100 yards. If it was in your face, you could get within 50 yards, but that's as close as you can get. And so they stood at a distance, and we're told that very simply, they stood at a distance to meet Jesus. And they were desperate. They were so desperate, we're told in verse 13, that they raised their voices collectively. They raised their voices, their desire was to be healed as they knew that Jesus could do it. You know, they were as we went through Luke's gospel, you may recall that there was a word that was used that said that they heard rumors about Jesus. You know, he was starting to do things and people were starting to talk about it. But those rumors began to pick up steam and they began to develop into a huge wave and those rumors turned into reports and the reports were heard everywhere. And so if you can imagine being in their position with this fatal disease that no one can cure, and they found out earlier, as we saw in Luke's study, that he cures leprosy, that he cured all diseases, that he even raised people from the dead. They began to realize that their only hope was to be found in Jesus. I'll tell you right now, if I knew someone that could cure cancer, and I knew where that doctor was, hey, you know what? I'd go. Because if the rumors turned out to be true and the reports turned out to be accurate and every person that went to this person had some type of, you know, silver bullet for cancer, you know, I know exactly how desperate they are and I know exactly what I would do as well. My desire is to be healed. My desire is to continue to serve the Lord. My desire is to to continue doing the things God's called me to do. And if I knew there was somebody out there that could accommodate that desire, you know that I'd find them and you know that that's where we'd go. And so they recognized their only hope was in Jesus. And I want us to understand and recognize the desperate plight that all of us are in because we all come into the world separated from God because of sin nature. We are born into this world in rebellion against God, and we are on our way to hell, and we are most certainly in the desperate state. These men only understood the physical desperation What I want you to understand is not only their physical desperation, but more importantly, their spiritual desperation, because there is no other name given to men under heaven by which men can be saved from hell than the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person that hears my voice, we need to recognize, you need to understand, there is only one answer, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes under the Father but through me. If your desire is to be right with God because you recognize the desperate strait that you're in, then the desire is to cry out for mercy upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, you shall be saved. And this story, as we look at this, this historical account, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't some story that's made up. This This is about real people in a real moment in human history as you and I are just as real in this moment of our human history. This is how God works. And in their desperation, they cried out. And I want you to envision for a moment as you listen to the choir today, the voices that were raised to praise God. These voices were raised in unison as they cried out to Jesus because He stood at a distance and they wanted Him to hear them. And they cried out. And look what they said, Jesus, Master, Master, have mercy on us. And you know there was some weeping going on. Can you help us? We know you can help us. We heard what you can do. Will you just help us? And they cried out in unison. And the word master is a powerful word. It was used earlier in Luke's study in Luke 5.5, 5, where they were on the boat, and they said that Peter said to Jesus, Master, you know what? We fished all night, and we didn't catch anything. But if you say, let the nets down, we'll let the nets down. You know why? Because you are the master. Because you are the commander-in-chief. Because you are the commander of this ship. Because when you tell me to do something, I will do it. I am here to obey your command. Whatever it is that you say, I will do it. I don't understand it because we fished all night. But nevertheless, at your word, let the nets down. I'm letting them down. Wow, what a powerful testimony. You know why? Because they understood. Peter understood. These ten lepers understood that Jesus is the master and in control of everything. He's the master of the universe. Every disease, every affliction, death couldn't stop Him. He was raising people from the dead. There was every disease that was imaginable. And we're told in Scripture that every disease that was known to mankind came to Jesus and He healed them. Demonstrating who He is. He's the God of the universe. He's the creator of all things. There's nothing bigger than Him. It's not a question of His ability. It's a question always of His will. Nevertheless, your will be done. And we have got to become content as God's people. No matter what your will is, your will be done. And I'll tell you, I struggle like everybody else does. When you want something bad enough, you start to manipulate and distort Scripture every way that you can. And you find every passage that talks about, you know what, Lord, it's your will to heal me. You know what, I'm sorry, but I don't find that anywhere that it's God's will to heal every affliction and every disease. Jesus did so so that everyone would understand who he is. That is why he did it. If his desire and his will was to heal every disease and every affliction, none of us would ever die physically. Something's going to get us. You know, what's great, too, is I saw a great interview with the latest lady. This lady was 93 years old. She loved the Lord. And her daughter was being interviewed. And she had just died, her, her mom, of the West Nile virus. And here's what she said. And this was beautiful. And I laughed when I heard it. She said, you know, my mom loved the Lord. And when, it was her, and when it was her time to go to be with him, God sent a mosquito to do his work. <laughs> Is that great? That was great. And it was on TV. I loved it. I was just smiling and laughing. It's like, isn't that the truth? God sent a mosquito first and then his angel second. Man, was that great? And it's so funny because it's like I don't even go outside at night anymore. Because I... <laughs> i like, because I always got bit up all the time. I'm like, compromised immune system. I can't. Is that a mosquito? Ah! It's like, then you just laugh and go, come on, this is crazy. You know, God, you're in control. You want to send a mosquito? That's all right with me. That may even be better. <laughs> but as we look at this, we recognize and understand. He was saying, you know what, Jesus, they recognize you are totally in command of everything, and we're going to trust you. Men who, as we will see, had nothing in common with one another under normal conditions, these Jews and Samaritans hated each other, were now drawn together by a common plight. You know, I found that even in the situation I'm in. I talk to people all the time. There's 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 this cancer club that I never knew existed, that once you have cancer, people just feel like you're in the club now. And so when you're sitting around talking, it's like, oh, what kind of cancer do you have? And what kind of treatment are you doing? And what are you eating? What are you drinking? What are you doing? It's like, it's like, oh, just like all of a sudden, you know, there would be maybe no other basis of conversation other than trying to force something. It's like, you know, you're in this club. And so praise God for the club. And hopefully through this club, we'll meet people that, you know, need to understand that, you know what, their greatest desperation isn't cancer or some other disease. Their desperation, their greatest need is to be forgiven by God for sin. See, the point here is that there, there is one need all mankind has and should draw all men together, and that's our need for God's forgiveness, our desperate need for his mercy. And they understood that from a physical dimension, but not all of them understood it from a, a spiritual plane. Next, we see wonderful truth. It's a cause for great hope. Uh, they, though, and us are far from God. The Bible tells us he still hears our cry and he sees our plight. And if you'll notice in verse 14, it says, And when he saw them, he said to them. Man, when I read that, I said, isn't that the best news you could ever hear? That even though as sinners we are far from God, the Bible says he still sees our plight and he hears our cry for mercy. And he sees us and he said to them, and we see the command of Jesus is, go and show yourselves to the priests. Go and show yourselves to the priests. The command of Jesus demonstrates the importance of obeying him. Go and show yourselves to the priests. The command was to do what a cured leopard would do following the regulations that were stipulated in the law, specifically Leviticus chapter 14. If there was a leper who thought that God had healed him, the requirement by the law of God was that you go and show yourselves to the priest. If the priest would check you over and see that, yes, indeed, you were healed, then they would go through an eight-day process, a ceremony, a a cleansing ceremony. At the end of the eight days, they would be restored back to their family. And can you imagine the excitement and anticipation of a family who have been isolated from one another? That God had miraculously intervened, healed this person. They go to the priest, and they know they're in the process for the next eight days of becoming clean. So that man, it's party time at, at the end of those eight days to welcome them back home. What a wonderful scene that would have been. And it's one that's played out over and over again as I hear about how God miraculously intervenes in human life to heal people of things that people say, hey, you got three months to live, six months to live. Your CT scan says, your MRI says that. And all of a sudden, six months or three months or four months or a year or two years go by, that same person goes and they get this test and it's like we don't see any evidence of it. We can't explain it. We can't understand it. We don't know what to tell you, but we know what we see. And just the, re, the rejoicing that takes place. And we're going to see more about specifically, why is it that God does those things? We need to recognize and understand what His purpose is behind everything that He does. But we'll see that in a second. But for now, the command was to go. And notice what happened. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. As they were going, Jesus said, go They said, okay. Now, look, they saw themselves and they understood. They were looking at each other, going, you know what? We're not anywhere close to being cleansed. You're saying go to the priest so he can confirm whether we're cleansed or not, and we're a mess. We can see each other. We can notice that we're not cleansed, but you say go, and we already said you're our master, commander-in-chief. Whatever orders you give, we're going to obey, so we're just going to go. And as they were going, they were cleansed. And I want you to picture what's going on here. These fellows are walking down a road to go to a priest. They still have leprosy. They're looking at each other. They're all a mess. They're hobbling along. They don't have any toes. They don't have any fingers. And as they're going... Toes pop out. Fingers pop up. A hand pops up. They're looking at each other. Their hair comes back. Their eyelids are back. Their the eyelashes are back. Their hair's back on their head. They're watching all this pop, 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 pop. You know, so it's like, man, you know, it's like, whoa! whoa you can't see. I can't see me, but I can see you. Can you see me? Do I look like you? What's going on? And they're looking. It's like, man, can you imagine how excited they were? This is, this is like, oh, this doesn't get any better than this. And they were pumped up. They were excited. It was like a mass healing. It all took place at the same time. And I can imagine just what the conversation was and what was going on and how exciting all this. And, and from this, we learn that the cleansing of these men demonstrates that God alone is to be glorified. And I want you to notice this and don't miss this. As they were going, they were cleansed. And it demonstrates the importance of obeying God's word. What must I do to be saved from hell? You must repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's God's word. That's God's command. God's means of healing them at this point was you go and as they went, they were cleansed. That's just the physical dimension. But he uses the physical to illustrate the spiritual. What must I do to be saved from the consequences of sin and God your wrath and God your judgment and what must I do to be saved from ending up in hell? God's very clear what we must do. You must repent. Turn from sin. Turn to God. Cry out for His mercy and His forgiveness and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. His death on the cross and the power of His resurrection. And you must receive Him as the only sacrifice that is acceptable to God for your sins and mine. That's the command of God. And you know, as miraculous as it was for them to have fingers and toes and hair again, the same thing happens when you and I trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Though we don't see it immediately externally, internally, we're born again by the will of God. We're adopted into the family of God. And ultimately, what happens is we begin to see God's work inside being projected outside. We see those who had lied now telling the truth. We see those who had stolen now working hard to make a living and giving to those who were in need. We see those who had a filthy mouth because it came from their heart and their language and how they talked to people. We see them now changing. That language changes because God is doing a work in their heart. We see angry and bitter and resentful people now all of a sudden they're kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven them. We see them doing things that they used to do that came so naturally. Now they're convicted about it and they're saying, you know what, I don't think I should do this anymore. It doesn't feel right to me. I think I'm displeasing God. God. And as clearly as they saw physically the change, that's as clearly as we should see the change that God has done, the work that He has done in the heart of those who have truly trusted in Christ. And that's why I'm always concerned at a person who professes faith, but their life doesn't indicate any change at all. Because that's not biblical faith. That's deception. And many are on the broad path that goes to destruction, but only few on the narrow path to eternal life so as we look at this we see that the cleansing of these men demonstrates that God alone is to be glorified and praised for this work that he has done externally in their life it says now one of them when he saw that he had been healed he turned back glorifying God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at his feet giving thanks to him We're told that he turned back. Among these ten lepers was a Samaritan, indicating this common bond of tragedy that brought these people who usually hate each other together. And when the healing occurred, he knew that he had to thank God and he had to thank Jesus, but he didn't know at the time that the two were one. It says that he glorified God, he praised God. The word that is used is the same word that we get in English, megaphone. He prayed, he shouted. He shouted praise to God, glorifying God for what he had done because he knew that he had to thank God because this was a miracle of God and he thought that God was working through Jesus. He didn't know at that time as we do today that God and Jesus are one. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me, for I and the Father am one, Jesus Christ, God and human flesh. He didn't understand it. He didn't recognize it at that time, but he knew two things needed to be done. Number one, he needed to thank God first and glorify and praise Him. And then he needed to thank Jesus because God worked through him. And so he went back to thank Him. And he glorified Him. And the whole point of this is very simple. In a loud voice, he requested mercy... And in an equally loud voice, when mercy was received, he praised God. And my question is the same, and that is this. We're very loud when it comes to asking God for what it is that we want. Are we just as loud when it comes to praising him when he answers our prayers? So many of us, we're loud on the prayer part, and we're really whispers on the praise part. The same word is used. This guy was equally loud. I was shouting out for mercy and since I received it, I'm shouting out for praise too. We need to recognize and understand that he threw himself at Jesus' feet and literally meant that he worshipped him. That he recognized what he had done. And as Psalm 103 says, he did not forget his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit of hell. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Stop and think about that. Have you forgotten his benefits? Do you realize that those who have repented and trusted in Christ have believed upon Him? That God says He has pardoned all of our iniquities, past, present, and even future? Have you forgot that? I'm here to remind you. Don't forget that. He has forgiven you and me who have trusted in Christ all of our iniquities, He heals all of our diseases. The greatest disease of all is the disease of sin. It says he redeems your life from the pit of hell. And after having read the passage that we did recently in Luke's gospel of what can be anticipated by those who reject Jesus Christ, I thank God every day that he has redeemed me from the pit of hell. From the isolation, from the pain, from the suffering, from the torment, from the darkness, from the eternal sense of never being able to do anything about your fate because it is sealed for all of eternity. I thank God that He satisfies my soul, that we can have contentment in this life in a world that's filled with discontent, newer, bigger, nicer, more expensive. Why? Because nothing in this life will ever satisfy completely as only God can. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a context of contentment. Whether I have a lot, whether I have nothing, whether I have all my health, whether I have, you know, an illness. You know, whether I'm older, whether I'm younger, it doesn't matter. I can do all things. I can be content in all situations through Christ who strengthens me. As we read this, we need to ask ourselves the question, have we forgotten his benefits? Lord, thank you for forgiving all my iniquities. Lord, thank you for redeeming me from the pit of hell. Lord, thank you for satisfying my soul. Lord, thank you for who you are. What's your GQ? Unfortunately, far too many are like the other nine. You know, notice the fourth point is that the concern of Jesus demonstrates the priority of giving thanks to God. Notice what he said, and Jesus answered, said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? Where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God, except this foreigner, this Samaritan? Where are the other nine? And what a revelation of the fact that Jesus values gratitude and misses it when it's not expressed. He expects it, and rightfully so, for we should give it. It's the right thing to do. You know, if you remember earlier in Luke, he went to the house of Simon and he missed the common courtesy of the Eastern home. He said, You know, you gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss for my head. My head you didn't anoint with oil. You did not, you know, you neglected all the common courtesies. You know, are we not all in danger of being represented? More so by the nine than the one? Forgetting and failing to praise? I don't know, you know. You'd expect these ten guys to just be jumping out of their sandals with their newfound toes <laughs> to be praising God. You know, I mean, gee whiz, if people can jump up and down on a Toyota commercial, you know, wow, you know, how much more so should we jump up and down for what God does in our life? you'd think that they would have ran back to thank Jesus. But only one did. You know, and it's more evidence of that narrow path. You know, I'm I'm not dogmatic on this, but I've got to think that it represents the fact that very few really know the Lord. One out of ten. Ten percent. Is it much different in our culture? I hope that it is, but I fear that it's not. You know, think they would have ran back, but like I said, before we judge them too harshly, ask yourself your, the question of the day, and that is, what's your GQ? What's your gratitude quotient? Are you grateful what, for what God has given you? or are you, you know prone to complain and moan and groan about what you think He still owes you? You know, too often, we're content to enjoy the gift, but we forget the giver. We're quick to pray and real slow to praise and the message to me and I hope to you that is clear as this you know what God misses our our expressions of gratitude when it's appropriate to give them to him he sees that he misses that he deserves better And I caught myself recently complaining about trying to find a new doctor And actually, I don't even know why I was complaining about it because Linda was doing all the work. I wasn't even doing anything. Hey, have you found someone yet? Have you found someone yet? Hey, you know, I'm dying here. Would you find somebody? It's like, you know, could you kind of put it up on the list somewhere? I don't know. But uh, and so she did all the work, you know. And she found a doctor, and we praise God for that. And he's in the San Diego area. And so we went to him a couple weeks ago, and I've had my second treatment now, and we're doing it every Tuesday, but I got to drive to Vista every Tuesday, you know, and the last guy was right here on Tustin Avenue. So I kind of like going, you know, this is this not right. Got to drive to San Diego. It takes a little over an hour. Got to get there, get injected, feel crummy, get back in the car, have Linda drive me home. It's like, you know, it's like, wow. I mean, this is like, and I started moaning, and I, and I thought, you know, what is wrong with me? It's like and I, just, and, I, and I caught myself, and it was if God was, you know just really just challenging me to think about something, and so instead of complaining, <clears throat> I needed to kind of start praising God. So it came to me, and I came up with this, and this is going to be the title of the book, if, if, if I'm around long enough to write it, but the title of the book is going to be "Enjoy the Drive: You're Still Alive." Okay? So And then you know, and then I was like, "Lord, you know, forgive me. I, you know, I can't believe it. I'm complaining about it. And, you know, like we could have been going to Chicago or Europe or wherever. It's like, you know, here's a guy right here. It's like, what's wrong with me? And so if if I didn't, if I hadn't learned my lesson at that point, so the second week we go, <laughs> we we go into the lobby and I'm sitting there and there's a woman that's there and obviously she's in the cancer club. So it's like, hi, what kind of cancer you got? And so we start talking and and she said, yeah, well, you know. We we have to take the train from Ojai, which is up near Ventura, and it takes us four hours to get here. And then we have to take a cab from Oceanside over to the doctor's office. And I'm just like, oh, okay, Lord. I mean, I, I thought I told you I understood, and I've asked for your forgiveness. Now you're making me feel like, and I'm going, and now I'm just kind of my voice is getting all squeaky. I was like, oh, man, you know, and I was just like, okay, I got the message, I got the point, you don't have to hit me again, you know, enjoy the drive, you're still alive, and the subtitle now is, you could be on the train from Ohio. <laughs> so, I don't know. But, but I, I, you know, I, I got to, it was like, you know what, I, I realize that I'm like at times like a spoiled little brat, you know, it's like, here's a sucker, kid. but Oh, you can't have it as sugar. Never mind. But, uh, you know, here, here's, a, here's a pacifier. And I was like, oh, what are we going to learn? What am I going to learn? I'm starting, I hope. You know, I'm taking notes. And so instead of, you know, complaining, I'm praising. I'm thanking God for every circumstance. next time you sing or hear the word now thank we all our God and then then I came across this so God's just been beating on me this week you know just pounding me although like someone said you know in in the temple the incense had to be crushed the more that it was crushed the sweeter the scent was to God so I should get me I should I think I'm getting sweeter I don't know still no not at all okay blondie (laughs) all right whatever anyway uh, so i guess i'm not (laughs) oh wretched man that i am who will set me free from this bond of sin anyway the next time you sing or hear the words now thank we all our god i want you to recognize the context in which it was written martin rinkhart wrote it during the 30 years war And his pastoral duties were probably the most difficult that anyone can imagine. He conducted as many as 40 funerals a day, including that of his own wife. Yet he sat down one day and he wrote these words as a table grace for him and his children. In spite of war and, and everything around him and the sorrow that he felt within, he was able to give thanks to the Lord from a grateful heart. And he penned these words. Now thank we all our God. "...with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has led us on our way, with countless gifts of love, and still is ours today." Here is a man who knew that thanksgiving comes from love of God and not from outward circumstances. So back to Luke, instead of going to the priest, the Samaritan became a priest and he built his altar at the feet of Jesus. And it was at the feet of Jesus he received the greatest of all gifts that any human being can receive. Far greater than his gift of being healed physically. We're told in verse 19 that he was healed spiritually. It says, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, in the Greek language, it is this Your faith has saved you. Every expert on this passage, regardless of their own background, has come to the same conclusion. Your faith has brought you salvation. But as much of a foreigner as he might be, this man is now sent off by Jesus as a person who has experienced the salvation that Jesus came to bring. None of the others, despite their newfound freedom from physical illness, leprosy, receives this special blessing of spiritual healness. We need to let that soak in because that is the message of the passage. This isn't a passage about physical healing if we just focus on that we've missed the point is a passage about how God uses physical healing to bring about glory to himself and then to put a person in the in the perfect position of crying out for mercy for his soul because every person that was ever healed in scripture ultimately died physically Lazarus was raised from the dead only to die again the widow of Nain's son was raised from the dead only to die again. Jairus's daughter was raised from the dead only to die again. Every person that was healed physically would ultimately die physically because that is a consequence that comes with the curse of being a rebellion against God. But this man, as everyone who cries out for mercy to God, will live spiritually for eternity in the presence of God, resurrected to the newness of life with a spiritual and physical body. And the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ himself has gone to prepare a place for those who have trusted in him, that one day he will return for us, that where he will be, we will be also, that if we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. The Bible clearly teaches that those who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ have been saved from the consequences and the the penalty of sin. The question that I have for you is this, how many lessons are here for us as it relates to gratitude? These eternal lessons, certainly we must understand that no one is saved by having a pleasant, optimistic, or thankful spirit. The Bible says it's by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift from God so that no one could ever boast. It is God's gift to those who repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't teaching salvation by disposition, but he's teaching that where there is true saving faith, there are profoundly thankful hearts. An attitude of gratitude must be true of every one of God's redeemed. Those who have truly been forgiven by God should have an attitude of gratitude that is different than the thankless culture in which we live. What is your GQ? What is your gratitude quotient? The Samaritans' nine friends were declared clean by a priest. But this man was declared saved by the Son of God. Who do you think is better off? It's a wonderful thing to experience the miracle of physical healness, and I hope that's the case in my life. But you know what? If not, it's more wonderful to experience the miracle of eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Praise to God. Praise to God the Father is at the heart of authentic faith. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.57 But thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14 Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. 2 Corinthians 9.15 And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3.17, the New Testament is clear over and over again that believing hearts are hearts that praise and give glory to God. And I want you to notice the Samaritan had the right order. He thanked God, but he also came back to thank Jesus. And the Bible says that we are to give thanks to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In every one of those passages of those who give thanks to God, every one of them are centered on the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Who is God's gift? He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we give thanks to God. We praise and glorify God by recognizing and receiving Jesus Christ as his means of forgiving the sins of the world. What he has done. Charles Spurgeon, in closing, was sharing the gospel with a very talkative woman who was beginning to understand the good news when she burst out. And she said, Oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if Christ saves me, he'll never hear the end of it. (laughs) I like that. Because you know what? If Christ has saved you... I pray that he hasn't heard the end of it, but that you will praise him with lips and life, in this life, and through all of eternity. What's your GQ? I say we raise the bar. I say we raise our voices. I say we praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this indescribable gift. God, help us to see that our greatest need is physical, not physical, but spiritual healing. That the physical was always used by you to demonstrate a greater truth, and that is the spiritual world will live for eternity. That the things that we see of this earth are temporal and they'll disappear, they'll be burned up. But that which we don't see, the spiritual, lives forever. Father, we thank you that you have convicted us, confronted us with our desperate need of forgiveness. I pray that every person that hears my voice would recognize the desperate straits they're in, more desperate than cancer, more desperate than leprosy, more desperate than heart disease, more desperate than whatever physical ailment may afflict them. Their greatest need is not physical healing. Their greatest need is spiritual forgiveness. God, our greatest need is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and your command is clear. And just as the lepers went and they obeyed your command, so we must obey the command to repent, to turn from sin and turn to God. And to trust in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection. Receiving him as Lord and Savior is the only means of finding your forgiveness. God, I just thank you that I have been born again, not by my own efforts, but by the will of God. It was your choice, your calling, your choosing. And I pray that I will continue to praise you with my lips and I praise you with my life. And that till the day that you call me home or until the day the Lord comes that you will find your people not forgetting your benefits but praising you loudly with megaphone voices and shouting to all who would listen what a wonderful God that you are that you would call us from darkness to light so that we may proclaim loudly the excellencies of him who has done so and we do so and thank you and praise you in the name of our wonderful Savior your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.